Amen, amen. Thank you, sister, for reading uh, those verses and uh, leading us in prayer. Family, if you have a Bible, uh, let me get you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, if you, if you can, uh, if, if you are able to, if you can move forward a little bit, uh, we're all family. If you could just move forward a little bit. I know, I know. If you can, if you can, move forward. So we're in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9. And as you know, uh, <laughs> I see the faces. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. It's all love. I swear. But um, as you know, Peter wrote uh, this letter uh, to Christians who were suffering and who were being persecuted to encourage them in their suffering and to remind them of who they are, Christians, right? And then whose they are, Christ. To give them hope in the midst of their suffering. And we are walking through the book of First Peter in hopes that it will do the same for us. In that for those of us among us who are suffering, who are struggling, who are going through different difficulties and challenges that uh, being reminded of who we are, Christians, and whose we are, Christ, in the midst of our suffering in hopes that that might encourage us. So as we turn, let me, let me pray for us again, and then we'll dive in. Father in heaven, we thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for, uh, yeah, how you've already been working uh, throughout our time, God. And uh, we pray, God, that you would continue to work uh, uh, through the preaching of your word now. And I pray, God, that you would uh, move me to the back, God, you be center stage. Uh, we pray that you would increase and that I would decrease and uh, that your word would do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit, in every way that you deem best. God, would you do that? Would you glorify yourself in doing it? And we pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 6. Reads as follows. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, here is the outline for our time together. It is number one, point number one, joy in the midst of trials, joy in the midst of trials. And we'll see that in verses 6 through 7. And you'll see uh, the subpoints listed there that we'll walk through as well. But then point number two, joy in knowing Jesus. Joy in knowing Jesus. And we'll see that in verses 8 through 9. 
So let's look at the first one together. Joy in the midst of trials. Look back with me at verses six to seven. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you know that two things can be true at the same time? Did you know that two things can be true at the same time? That two feelings or emotions that are typically opposed to one another can share the same space. You can be going through a hard season in life or are going through a hard season in life right now. And that's hard. And yet at the same time, be being kept by God and encouraged. Two things that are opposite. True at the same time. Joy and sorrow can share the same space. And this is true of what Peter is saying here in verses six to seven. He's saying it in two ways, I believe you. Number one, that trials are short term. Trials are short term. Peter starts off by recalling the joy the suffering saints have in their suffering and sufficient savior. Right. He recalls that joy. You remember last week. Right. He reminds them of the joy that they have in their living hope. And in their glorious inheritance, he says, in these things, in these glorious truths, rejoice. Rejoice that you have a living hope. Rejoice that you have an eternal inheritance. And this is consistent uh, all throughout the Bible. This is a consistent pattern of rejoicing in the midst of suffering that we see in other places in the Bible, right? Jesus tells the disciples to rejoice when they would be persecuted, right? In Matthew 5, 12, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The early church uh, is indeed persecuted and experiencing suffering, but then also found rejoicing in the midst of their suffering. Think about Acts 5, 41. After they had been beaten and suffering, the disciples there says in Acts 5, 41 says, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They counted it worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. James 1, 2 tells us to rejoice in the midst of trials. James 1, 2 says, it says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Right? So you, you, you see, this is supposed to be the natural posture for the Christian in the midst of trials, right? Although it's very hard. It's easier said than done sometimes, right? Don't want to negate that. But this is to be the posture of Christians that we are, when we are going through hard times, when we are struggling, when we have different challenges, when we are suffering, Our natural posture is to be one of joy, joy in the midst of trials. But we can also rejoice because trials are short term. 
Trials are short term. Peter says there, if you look in the verse, it says, though now for a little while. Right. How many of us know that trials are temporary? How many of us know that trials are temporary? It's like it's like that song we're saying trouble don't last always. It don't last always. And I know sometimes when we're going through hard seasons, it can feel like forever. It can feel like forever, but it's not forever. In this life, God can and does in hard seasons. He does. He can and he does in hard seasons. And in the life to come, hard seasons will be no more. They will be no more. I want to be clear in saying this. In saying trials are short term, I'm referring to in light of eternity. They're short term in light of eternity, right? I'm not putting a time stamp or a time duration on when your suffering will end or when my suffering might end. I don't know when it will end. Though now for a little while that's in the text doesn't tell us how short a little while is, right? It may not end in this life. It may not. There are, that is a chance. That is a real possibility. But it also might. But in comparison to the eternal glory in the next life, it's short term. It's short term. And may you and I find hope in that this afternoon. Paul says something similar to this in 2 Corinthians 4.17. He says, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is what suffering is doing. This is what trials are doing. They're, They're light momentary afflictions that are preparing us for the life to come. Amen? Not only are trials short term, but even as this last verse kind of sets the stage, number two, trials are sanctified. They're short term, but they're also sanctifying. Look back with me at verse seven. It says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials are sanctified. Did you know that? Have you thought about that in the midst of your trials, that these trials are sanctifying you? Trials make us more like Jesus. Verse 7 says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, right? Trials are a testing tool used by God to verify if you and I have genuine faith. If you and I have genuine faith. It's kind of like the parable of the sower in Mark 4. Jesus talks about how the seed of the gospel can fall on not good soil, right? He talks about the path. He talks about rocky ground. He talks about thorns. Then he talks about and good soil and it grew, right? It fell on good soil and it grew. Then because the disciples weren't understanding Jesus explains what he means. Listen to Mark 4, 14 through 20. 
It says, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Did you catch verse 17 in that? And really the whole parable of the sower. But you hear in verse 17 when tribulation and persecution came on the account of the word and the person fell away. This person didn't have genuine faith. But this is not with the true Christian. This is not with the true Christian when trials come again. Trials aren't easy. Trials are hard. We don't want them. But God gives us strength to endure and persevere through them, with them. And then he simultaneously makes us more like his son. So he gives you strength to endure and persevere and simultaneously, he's making you like his son more and more. There are many examples of scripture of God testing his people and confirming their genuine faith. I'll just reference some of these passages and encourage you to check them out. So write them down and check them out on your own time. And I'll read some of them. You think about Abraham and Isaac, right? One of the famous ones. When Abraham was put to the test to sacrifice his son. Genesis 22, right? Job, as Sister Liz read uh, a passage from Job, Job lost everything. Job lost everything, yet gained something better, better yet someone better in that being God himself. And as you read the rest of the book, at the end, recovers. God recovers what he lost. But then you also think about the early church. Right. Think about the early church. Think about the, the book of Acts on through the letters. I read this earlier, but to read it again, Acts 541, it says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That these Christians were suffering. These Christians were being persecuted. That these Christians were being refined. They were being sanctified. Right. In their faith. Sometimes we forget that Jesus was also tested. The son of God was also tested. God in the flesh, tempted by Satan. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Or when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, right? Before he was to be crucified. Where he was praying, tested, tried. Think about Hebrews four fifteen talking about our Lord. It says, 
For we do not have a high priest, I love this, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Lord Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses as he himself was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 12, 3 through 4. Consider him, talking about the Lord Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, have you, sorry, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so when we think about these trials and moments of persecution, what are they meant to do? What, what are they meant to do? What's the purpose that they are to serve? Well, they serve sanctification. They sanctify you. They are sanctifying us and, and making us more like Jesus. They grow us and they deepen our faith. They strengthen our faith. And this faith, as Peter continues to talk about, is a faith that's more precious than gold. It's a faith that's more precious than gold. Look back at the rest of verse 7, right? It says, after he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, he says, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? The meaning here, as one commentator puts it, he says, in thinking about gold, it was, it was the most precious and highly prized of all metals, right? And in ancient times, it was the basis for most monetary transactions, right? That gold was, was the most prized. It was, it was highly prized. It was most precious. And it was used uh, to, to, yeah, make money and, and to pay for things, right? And in the same way that fire was used to test gold, right? There's a process that fire is used, right? To, to test gold, gold, to refine gold, to remove any impurities from the gold or any blemishes. In the same way that fire is used to, you know, remove impurities from the gold, Suffering and trials are used to do the same for you and I, Christian. Suffering and trials are used to do the same for us, to sanctify us. So your sufferings are not in vain, saints. Your sufferings are not in vain. They aren't meant for anything. They are meant for something. Your Savior uses them to sanctify you. To make you more like himself. And because of this, you and I can have joy in the midst of trials. Because of that, we can have joy in the midst of trials. Why? Here's one reason why. Because your trials are working for you. They are working for you. They are used by God to make you more like him. And that's something to rejoice about. The more and more... That we go through the fire, if you will. We are coming out more refined. Our faith deepened, strengthened in Christ. We come out looking more like him. And that's something to rejoice about. 
That's something to glory in, to praise God for. That through them, you are being made more like Jesus. Not only that, family, rejoice that God is with you when you go through the hard stuff. That God is with you as you are going through the fire. That he is with you, that he is giving you the strength to make it through those hard seasons. That he is giving you the encouragement, the endurance, the perseverance to make it through those trials. And this may sound strange. You can tell me after the service or hit me up later. But have you ever thought about thanking God for your trials? Have you ever thought about thanking God for your trials? For how he uses them for good and growth in your life? Have you ever made a thought of that? Have you ever thought about that? I want to encourage us to to think about that. Think about that the next time before you and I are quick to complain or grumble at God. Maybe thank him for how he's using whatever that circumstance is to make you more like himself. And thank him that he didn't let you go. That in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of those trials, that he is holding on to you as you are clinging to him. Think about that. Thank him for that. That's something to rejoice in, right? That's something to rejoice in, in the midst of our sufferings. And in fact, our response is to be what we see here in the end of verse 7, right? As Peter says, he says, uh, may be found to result in praise, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That we are to, to praise God, that we are to worship God, that we are to give glory to God, glory unto him, the only one that deserves glory, who is due glory, God. Who is in a league of his own. No one is there with him. And to honor him. To revere him. To respect him. For who he is. And for what he's done. And him revealing himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to be our response. Of rejoice. In the midst of trials. To my non-Christian friend. How do you make it without God through the hard things of life? That's a better question would be, are you making it without God through the hard things of life? Well, no, you're, you're not. You're not. Even though you don't know him yet, he's still showing much grace to you. Common grace in that he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, as the Bible tells us in Matthew 5, 45. But he has special grace. A special revelation in that he wants to reveal his son to you and what his son has done for you. But I got to give you the bad news before I give you the good news. The bad news is that you're a sinner like every human being on the face of this planet. That you have lived a life that is in opposition to a loving God who created you to worship him. But instead, you've chosen to worship yourself. You've instead chosen to worship everything else but him. 
And because of your worship that you've been giving to other things or to yourself and not him. You will be judged. And if he were to judge you in your sin. He will be right to judge you and to cast you uh, into an eternal hell. Which is separation from him. Where you will not have an opportunity to receive the love and mercy that is on display here to you now. In the gospel, through the gospel. But he sends his son who comes, who lives, who dies, who is raised from the dead on the third day to offer you life. If you would turn from your sin and turn to him by faith. By putting your trust in him and what he has done alone. And the Bible says if you do that, my non-Christian friend, you will be saved. You will be saved. If you'd like to learn more about what that would mean and what it would look like to start your journey with the Lord, it would be our joy to, to talk with you after the service. Come see me. Come see any one of us here. We would love to, to chop it up with you. May today be the day of salvation for you. May you trust him. So that's point one, joy in the midst of trials, right? Here's point two, joy in knowing Jesus. Joy in knowing Jesus. Look at verses eight through nine with me. They say, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So that's subpoint one. You see that faith in Jesus in verse eight. In verse eight, Peter reminds us of their love for Jesus, even though they hadn't seen him, right? They hadn't seen him. Peter saw Jesus. Peter walked with Jesus. These Christians hadn't. Well, how do you love someone you haven't seen or been with? It's when his love sees you. It's when his love captures you. The Apostle John says it this way. He says, we love because he first loved us. And our text continues on. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. These Christians, they don't see him physically, but yet they believe. This is what the Bible calls faith, which is belief. You be- believe, you trust, you put your confidence in Christ. This is what the Bible calls faith. And this is how Christians are to live, right? We are to, to live this way. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Right? We live by faith, not by sight. And this is essentially what those Christians are doing there and what us today as Christians are doing. Right? Faith has captured us. We have received the faith that has been revealed to us. And we believe upon Christ because he has revealed himself to us through his word, through the gospel. And we walk by faith, not by sight. This reminds me of the scene with Jesus and Thomas. 
you might recall, right? Thomas was doubting that the Lord Jesus had been raised from the dead. Listen to John 20, 24, starting there. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the same faith we have, beloved. Another way to put it, we didn't find faith. Faith found us. So therefore, we believe. And not only do we believe, but that belief is to produce joy. It's to produce joy. It's to produce something in us. That is joy. Peter says in the text, rejoice with joy. If you didn't get it the first time, rejoice. He says it again. Rejoice with joy. And this joy is inexpressible, which means it's a joy. It's a type of joy that can't be explained with words. It's an inexpressible type of joy that can't be explained with words. Right. This joy is not only inexpressible, but it's full of glory, as the text says. That meaning it's a joy of the highest praise, right? It's a, it's a joy that is of highest praise. It's a transcendent joy. Christian, do you have this type of joy? Do you have this type of joy this afternoon? This type of joy that is inexpressible? This type of joy that is transcendent? That is unwavering, unshakable? type of joy in the midst of suffering in the midst of trials you can we can we do in Christ and it is always accessible in him it is always available to us as we look to him in the midst of our trials in the midst of our suffering lastly There's joy in having faith in Jesus, but there's joy in knowing that this faith will be rewarded. This faith will be rewarded. So sub-point number two, faith rewarded in Jesus. Back with me at verse nine. It says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word obtaining means to receive something later. In that you don't have it yet. But this is to come. It's something that is to come, right? Again, as we've been learning so far in this book, uh, this is one of those places where we see that already but not yet aspect of our salvation, right? 
Again, if you are a Christian here this afternoon, by God's grace, you have been saved. That's past tense. That's done. That's a wrap. You have been saved, right? But you are being saved in that one day we will be with Jesus forever. With new bodies. In a new heavens and a new earth. Without sin and suffering. Right? We don't have new bodies yet. We go and hoop. Like we were talking about earlier, me and Rick were out hooping yesterday. We got some, we hurt after that. We in pain. We get sick. Right? There's death. There's struggles with sin. Sin is rampant in our world. We are not there yet. It is something that is to come. It is something that is to be fully realized on that day. When it will be complete in Christ. So that hasn't happened yet. That is to come. And we can rejoice now for what's to come. Right? Eternal rejoicing in our Savior's presence forever. So we rejoice now because joy is available to us now in the midst of our suffering. Or if we're not suffering or we're going to be entering into some whatever spectrum we're on, joy is always available. It's always accessible. So we rejoice now, but we also rejoice in what's to come. Rejoice in that one day Jesus is coming. That he is returning. And he's returning for his people. And he's going to make all things new. That's something to rejoice and be expectant and anticipate. Amen? Amen. It's hearing this from our Savior in the future that should give us hope in the now. Matthew 25, 23. He says there, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. This is something that is going to come in the future, but that we can rejoice in the now over. That as we remain faithful, as we remain clicked up with the Lord, faithfully in the Lord, living a life worthy of the Lord, that one day we will be rewarded. And the reward is him. The reward is Jesus. That we get to enter into the joy of our master. That being the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Gospel joy is available to us all in the midst of our suffering. Let's pray as the team comes back up. God, we thank you for this afternoon. Um, We thank you for gospel joy. That is always accessible. No matter in what season we're in, joy is always available. God, I pray uh, that you would help us to, um, yeah, to, to have that type of joy this afternoon.
have gospel joy. Gospel joy in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering right now, and a rejoicing, a joy in what's to come. May we be expectant and anticipating what is to come. The new heavens, new earth. We'll be with you, O Lord, for the rest of eternity. Give us joy now and hope now in the midst of the woes of life. In the midst of the hurries of life, the stress of life, the sin and the suffering and the death that we experience in this life. Give us hope and a joy in the heavens that is unwavering, unshakable, undeterred, set in you. Lord, would you do that? Would you keep us, Lord, until that day? God, please keep us. We want to. Yeah, we want to live lives that are pleasing and worthy to you. We want to be faithful. Help us to be faithful. Help us to remain steadfast in you. And await you patiently. For you are to come. Help us to wait patiently. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you stand with us, family?